more than 100 unique styles of beer, each with their own set of ingredients, process, guidelines, history, and experience. If you're a beer lover, an industry leader, or somewhere in between, a better knowledge of beer style will improve your life and your work. Welcome to A Sense of Beer Style, essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. I'm Julia Herz. And I'm Jeremy Storton. We're advanced Cicerones, beer judges, home brewers, and we're excited to guide you through the vast and wonderful world of beer styles. Well, welcome back to the Sense of Beer Style podcast uh, with, with my wonderful host, Julia Herz. Say, please say hello to everyone listening and watching. Hi, and hi, Jeremy. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, um, once again, uh, no shocker here. I'm really excited about this style cast because uh, I, I have to start with a story. Uh, early on, you know, you're laughing. Early on, you know, in college, uh, when I may or may not have been uh, of age, let's just assume I was, but I, I got tired of drinking the domestic lagers and playing darts with my buddies. And, and I, I, I put myself on a search for something better. One of the beers I found was a Pete's Wicked Ale, which was the original American Brown. And I remember tasting it and, and thinking, oh, this is, this is good beer. But it was too much for my palate at the time. But that, did, uh, that beer did open up the world of there is something out there. Keep searching keep looking because it's there. And, and, and that took me on to the path that I'm now on, but that Pete's Wicked Ale, which, uh, no longer exists as far as I know it, but that was the first American Brown. And that's what we're talking about today was the American Brown. It was a, uh, in typical American craft brewer fashion, it was a derivation of, of the English beers. It, you know, any, you know, if they had these great beers, let's do it our way with our ingredients and, and there may or may not have been a little bit of uh, anything you can do, I can do better type of mentality. But uh, nonetheless, a, a new style was born that is distinct from its roots, from its uh, ancestor. And so we're going to talk about that today. Uh, to begin, I'm going to pour a beer and uh, and ask you to talk about the ingredients because that's that's going to be something that we uh, that we dive into. Excellent. And I will also say from history and, and uh, Pete Slosberg is still very active today in the judging and brewing and frankly, food sensory exploration space. So Pete, owed to you if you're listening to this and hopefully you do. Um, and I still talk to him to this day. He mentors many people. Uh, and this is such a fun style to get to. Also, I'm in Colorado, if y'all hadn't caught that yet. And like, I feel like my neck of the woods in kind of the West has really paid owed when we talk about commercial examples. Multiple ones of beer judge certification program guidelines list are from the West. And so that's kind of really cool. I think this is a style that's amazing with food and it needs to be brewed more often. And, and people should be doing that on the home level and commercial level. So please get at it, start brewing more. Uh, and when you're going to brew, you're going to use the following ingredients. If you're trying to be really to style, uh, you know, typical pale malt, um, pale malt has, we've talked about it a little bit higher temperature in the kilning. Uh, it's a little bit more advanced flavor than say Pilsner malt or wheat malt. Um, and then some crystal and darker malts to give it that color, to give it a little bump of, uh, a flavor, uh, and the like, um, chocolate malt is very common for these types of styles, the um, American brown ale. And then American hops are typical because obviously this is the American brown ale inspired by the English brown ale. So we're going to use often the hops available to us and make it
get more about the hops because why? Because those brewers, these brewers, our brewers are American um, when they're making a, a, a style after the English style, which is a little more moderated in the hop flavors. Um, but you can use other types of hops in the style guidelines certainly account for that. The other big important thing, which style guidelines often skip um, unless it's already assumed. So in the words American brown ale, that means this is an ale. So you would be using probably American, maybe English ale yeast, uh, but certainly not lager yeast. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and that goes to say, I, I, I have to share just one more little story. Forgive me, but you Great. You no, are, stories are good. Stories you know, are good. Well, you are very big in the homebrew world to say, to, to put it mildly. And the very first beer that I ever brewed at home was an American Brown. And so Love that it. was, and, 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 and I have, and I have a habit of naming my bikes, my boards, my guitars, all that stuff. So my very first guitar was named uh, after my two favorite styles at the time, Amber Brown. So her name is Amber Brown. So the, the Brown, this beer style has been a very, uh, uh, important part of kicking off not only my story but a lot of people's story and it saddens me that it that uh it's harder to find these days uh, i i would love to see these beers come back that being said i poured myself a beer an american brown and uh what we're looking at uh, color wise for those of you who are listening and not watching uh the the, the color uh spectrum for these beers typically is going to be uh light to very dark brown but it's still firmly within that brown, uh, that brown uh, color spectrum. Not amber, not copper, not black. It's very, very brown. Um, we can ex also expect this to be very clear. These should be clear beers, not hazy. Uh, and and if you can tell, um, actually, if you're looking at this, you can see that uh, the foam on my glass is not quite there anymore. A couple of reasons. I poured this probably uh, uh, three or four minutes ago. And, and it's also in a shaker pint. So that doesn't hold the foam very well, but the foam was really nice tan off white and it persisted quite a while, but uh, we'll have to report again for next time. That's the appearance. That's what I expect for the style. Let's talk about the, uh, the aroma. And I, I do think what I'm seeing here and what you would have in your glass, if and when you listen to this again and listen several times and, and drink several beers as you listen, it's very inviting. It is. That color elicits uh, complexity, but not necessarily density or too much alcohol because uh, color wouldn't be telling you if it had higher alcohol or lower alcohol. It elicits um, invitation, though. And with that collar of foam, you know it's going to be a little more sessionable. Beers over 8% are really hard to have a collar of foam like that. So it's just very inviting. What, what I'm looking at. And when you start to smell it and that, you know, after your eyes get all warmed up and the synapses are firing, obviously mm -hmm. go to aroma, hopefully take a moment, be Zen-like about this because we are in our beer studies land. So you have permission. Doesn't mean you have to taste right away. Let's smell it first. Let's see what our orthonasal um, passages tell our, our mind. Um, and so I beg to differ on the style guidelines because the style guidelines lift, list, list and lead on aroma with moderately malty sweet to malty rich aroma. You cannot smell sweetness, right? You can have indicative notes of sweetness, right? So maybe that's what the style guidelines are after. So if you smell it, your brain might say there might be some residual sugar in this, but you were actually not smelling that basic taste that only could be perceived by the tongue and soft palate. So moderately to, we will call it um, malty rich aroma. That's fair. So that's going to lead to those pale malt um, uh, you know, flavors and any crystal malts or chocolate malts that have been snuck in there is going to get and carry through to the aroma. You might get nutty or caramel 
um, some low toasty, like you put the bread toast in the oven, but not, um, not like Vienna or Munich malt uh, level of toast. Hop aroma is low to moderate. Again, that's the American ode to this uh, beer style that was inspired by English ale. So you can get some low or moderate hop aroma. Um, and then, um, you know, you've got some uh, dry hopped aroma from some producers, but not all. And then the esters from the ale yeast are going to be moderate to very low, but you might get some unripe red um, fruit flavors or aromas from um, what you're smelling. And then the dark malt character uh, is going to be more robust than those English brown ales. So you're getting more of a punch of that chocolate malt, more of a punch of that crystal malt. Um, but it's not going to take you all the way to porter. That's like in the rungs of ladders, you've got your English brown ales, then one rung up would be the American brown, and then one rung up from that for more advanced malt flavors, not hop flavors, would be your American mm. porter. And so that's what it should smell like, which always leads us into the fun stuff, which is flavor. Which is, yeah, the, the, the taste of it. Um, uh let, let's not let let's be clear about this. This is uh, typically a malt forward style but it's not overly sweet. Uh, it, it, it is more hopped up than a, uh, a British version. And that's kind of one of the nuances that, you know, American beers have versus English beers. Uh, and this is, this is a really well-balanced beer. Uh, but we can expect that medium to medium high, uh, malt sweetness. It's rich. It's, uh, it's not terribly complex, but it's somewhat complex. There's, there's, there's enough there for your, your brain to chew on. If you're a beer thinker, as you're a beer drinker. Um, what I love about this beer though, is we're getting chocolate. We're getting caramel. We're getting nuts. We're getting uh, some toastiness sometimes. Uh, and that just really takes me to imagine snacking on milk duds and, and cashews, toasted cashews. And that's, and that kind of takes you into the ballpark of what this beer is like. And it's, and it's fantastic. It should never be roasty. It should never make you think, oh, we're heading toward a dark uh, a smoked or overcooked territory. But it should be just this, this wonderful toasty, if at all. It doesn't have to be there, but it can be there. The uh, bitterness that we expect from, uh, from uh, primarily the hops, you can get a little bit from dark grains uh, slightly if it's there. But uh, I expect this to be a medium to medium high bitterness which balances out that sweetness, but that sweetness and that malt character should come forward a little bit more. Um, uh, these beers can also have a bit of a medium to uh, medium dry finish. Uh, there's a sweetness balanced by the astringency from uh, hops and dark grains. Uh, and so, like I said, it's a balanced beer. Uh, the, the hop flavor could be low to medium, could be any variety. Typically, I'd expect it to be a, a classic American, maybe even New World as possible. Um, I think this beer in my hand actually has some British hops. That's not a faux pas. That that leads me away from American brown. But, you know, we're, we're not going to split hairs on this. It's still good. Um, but the uh, the esters as well. Uh, the esters are also something we need to uh, factor. It could be very low to medium. This is going to be just this wonderful beer that's going to have a lot of malt character. So that's the flavor that I expect out of a beer like this. Uh, let's take this into mouthfeel. And mouthfeel is the third component of flavor, component of flavor. Let me pronounce that right for you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the flavor triangle that you might have heard us talk about is aromatic compounds, 
flavor, uh, basic taste, right? Basic taste adds to it. And then the third rung of the triangle is mouthfeel. So mouthfeel is really important. I'm a real big junkie on mouthfeel. If I had a rock band, Jeremy, I might've said this to you before. It'd be called dichotomy of textures. And because <laughs> the mouthfeel lends so much in my view to flavor. So the body of the beer is, is encompassed in mouthfeel, medium to medium full body. That's actually surprising to see that with the actual statistics that Jeremy will overview for for you. But there's complexity there is the point of that. And then more bitter versions will have like a dry resiny impression is what the style guidelines talk about. Um, they're dry resiny. The resiny actually is from that American hops. Um, mm -hmm. But bitterness can help dry things out too. So that mouthfeel lead to... Um, uh, you to think that tannins are existent and actually perceive tannins. Um, hops bring us those tannins and polyphenols, so do malt husks. But so you could have a drier or more resiny impression from the hops. And that's really fun to kind of seek out and see if you notice it. And then moderate to moderate high carbonation. These beers are sessionable. They're, they're meant to be served in, um, you know, two or three pints, right? I, drinking two or three pints of these is not unreasonable because they're not so high in alcohol. So you want that carbonation there because it's more about the sessionability. Uh, and then you can get a little hint of warming if you go to the higher end of the spectrum of the ABV style. So in the mouthfeel, right, ethanol will elicit some warming sensations, some prickle on the tongue from uh, and the nasal passages, the retronasal passages from ethanol. So that is the mouthfeel style yeah. comparison. Yeah. So this this beer, uh, you know, I mentioned this just a second ago. We can compare this. You know, an American brown should be compared to a British brown. And what we're going to see at just generally across the board is the American uh, brown or the American uh, counterpart is going to tend to be more on the hoppier side, both in bitterness and more of that uh, hop uh, uh, flavor character. Uh, the other thing to throw in this is typically, not always, it's not a rule, but it's just more of a guideline, but uh, we're going to see more American hop flavor character in an American brown than we will um, anything else. So that, that would be a comparison between the British brown uh, this is also, if we follow the uh, continuum of uh, beers, another style cast, we talk about the blonde, we talk about the amber, we talk about, about the pale. Uh, as we go deeper in from blonde to amber to reds, and then we're going to get into browns. And there's a correlation between color and flavor that's, that's not uh, hard and fast. You can't hang your hat on it all the time, but we can expect those uh, flavors to uh, correlate with the uh, with a beer in in this or the color in this sense is going to be a little have a little bit more uh, chocolate and caramel than an amber would is going to have uh, less bitterness than a American pale would uh, when we compare this to uh, uh, brown IPAs brown IPAs you know kind of were begotten from this style because we're like hey this beer is great if it only had more hops in it. So obviously the, the beers will be very similar, except the IPA will have more hop character, more bitterness. And so these are the, the, just the, uh, the easy comparisons to really help nail the style. If you can find uh, these and compare them side by side, that will really help you uh, be successful in blind tastings. Uh, how about the commercial examples? There's some uh, classics out there. Yes. And I mentioned earlier in this style cast uh, about me being in the West and how this owed to yeah. this uh, classic American style that, again, really helped establish the craft beer movement and show people about full flavor beer beyond mass produced lager. Being in Colorado, we do have Avery Ellie's Brown Ale. 
Um, Big Sky Moose Drool is one of the Classic. preeminent classics. You still find it today a lot, mm-hmm. and that's from Montana. Um, and yeah, and you've got uh, Telluride Face Down Brown, a little brewery that could and beautiful Telluride, Colorado, where I believe Billy the Kid used to go before the winter and the snows mm-hmm. came in because it was a boxed in canyon. You could go only get in one way, in in one way, and in out one way. And so if the snow was there, he would be safe because he could watch the entrance. Um, all I know is that Telluride is a great brewery and really Great American Beer Festival has uh, awarded them well for their face down brown. And so the commercial examples also too are only from the West. Brooklyn Brewing out of New York, amazing brewery. Uh, Brown Ale, right? Garrett Oliver knows Brown Ale. And Garrett Oliver, the um, brewmaster for Brooklyn, studied in England and he really was inspired to, I think, take that uh, Pete's Wicked Ale twist of American Brown Ales and say, we make Brown Ale here in the States as well. Um, And then Smutty Nose, Old Dog Brown, great classics. Bell's Brewing has Best Brown. So there are ones to find. You just have to seek them out. A little ode to if any of my kids or husband ever listened to my show that I had a style to taste with you all today. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to throw in there that I will find you and hunt you down and, and find out who drank my beer that I specifically bought for this style cast and um, that I no longer have in my glass. And it was a it was a classic example. Just throwing that out there for my fam. And um, now I toss it back to you, Jeremy, yeah. to talk and, about statistics. And it's just proof that a good beer is meant to bring people together. But if you steal the beer, then everything falls apart. So uh, so that's the value of beer. Um, so on that note, let's talk about some numbers. You know, nice little uh, easy segue. And and I'll, I'll let uh, Julia uh, cool down a little, little bit over there. <laughs> Uh, so the ABVs with these, uh, the, the typical, I mean, they fall right in the average range. This was the uh, one of the beers that proliferated in the uh, early craft beer movement, and four to six was the average. It still is kind of considered the average if you kind of look at the, the range of all the beers out there. This beer fell, uh, or according to the guidelines, uh, falls at 4.3 to 6.2. Uh, and, you know, frankly, uh, if I'm going into a test, I'm just going to memorize four to six firmly in the average range and, it's, and you're perfectly fine uh ibus for the early americans non-ipa it, it's just a classic 20 to 30 for those malt forward american beers 20 to 30 is there's hop presence but it's not about the hops uh early on we were not in love with hops quite yet and so we liked balance we liked the hop flavor but so 20 to 30 is reflective of of the, uh, that time in the craft beer movement it's perfect when we talk about the color, uh, we talked, you know, light brown, dark brown. So that puts us 18 to 35. Uh, I think about, you know, if I had to pick uh, simple numbers, 20 to 30 for me is the range of brown, but 18 to 35 were well within that. Uh, for those of you who uh, don't speak SRM or standard reference method and prefer EBC or European Brewery Convention, we're effectively going to double that. And so I'm, I'm going to call that 36 to 70. Uh, now let's talk about the original gravity. You know, the correlation is original gravity to ABV. ABV is 4.3 to 6.2. The original gravity is going to be 10.45 to 10.60. So it's right in that ballpark. It, it lets you know where, what the potential of this beer is going to be. And if it attenuates all the way through, then we're going to be right in that range. For those of you who speak Play-Doh and not original gravity, that's going to put us right around 11 uh, to about 15 Play-Doh. When we get to final gravity, uh, Julia, you and I both agree on this. This is a little bit more important uh, when we see how well did it attenuate, where does it sit at. And so uh, at 10, from 10.10 to 10.16 is the original gravity range. 
that lets me know that it's got a little bit of a, a body. It's got something to say when it comes to mouthfeel and, and how it's going to uh, impact our palate as we drink it. For those who speak Play-Doh, again, we're looking at about two and a half to four uh, Play-Doh. And when we uh, talk about the alcohol, if you don't like ABV, you prefer Play-Doh, we're looking at eight and 8.75 to about 11. And that kind of puts us in that range of it is drinkable. It's not quite sessionable, but it's pretty, pretty close. So we can have two, three uh, of these um, as long as we you know, plan ahead and make sure we have a safe ride home. Uh, so that is the, that, that's the vital stats for, for this beer that we can expect in there. And Jeremy, I want to jump in and, and add a big picture concept because we take you through the 2021 Beer Judge Certification Program guidelines in the show Sense of Beer style. And we are right now within the Amber and Brown Ale American Beer category, right? And right before that in the style guidelines is Pale American Beer. If you look at the styles in Pale American Beer and Amber and Brown American Beer, which includes Blonde Ale, Pale Ale, Amber Ale, California Common, and now American Brown Ale. If you look at the final gravities, they are all so close together. Yeah. So you can start to memorize the guidelines in terms of beer styles that are like each other and then start to notice the difference. Now, if I were to say IBUs or international bitter use units, mm -hmm. that's going to be very different in the spectrum of styles that I just shared. But the final gravity of 1010 to 1015, you can pretty much bet if it's a American pale or amber or brown, it's right there. There's only just a few nuanced differences of points. So that's a good tip to look at when you're studying the style guidelines and trying to memorize them in the in the big picture way. Well, and I, I want to tag onto that if it's okay, but I, I created mm -hmm. some visual uh, yes. memory aids uh, that I use. And, and if you want them, you can go to uh, goodbeermatters.net and sign up for the newsletter. You'll get them for free. Uh, sorry for that plug. But uh, I created those because I'm a visual learner and I need to see how they shake out. And the cool thing is ABV wise, there's a tight grouping. They're all right along each other. When it comes to IBUs, there's a fairly tight grouping there, but they branch out where you would expect them to. The pale ale is going to end up a little bit higher. The amber is going to be a little bit lower. And, and so you can see how all those puzzle pieces fit together. And then when you when it comes to color, that is a, exactly what you would expect it to be. But when you see it all line up, then everything just makes sense when it's all laid out for you. Uh, so if that's helpful for you to go there and find those. But uh, in the meantime, uh, let, let's talk about um, uh, glasses and, and uh, temperatures. Sure. And so uh, I am I, I one of my most famous posts that we had to rename. It was so controversial was should the shaker pint glass go away? Uh, that is still somewhere maybe on craftbeer.com yes. with a different name because we don't want to take a stand um, against certain things. But personally, I feel that the shaker pint is not um, what we are wanting the glass what, what the beer should be in. No Nick pint, right? It's got um, a, a different composition of glass, frankly, usually. And then it's got a bump um, and a lip at the top. Uh, it's angled more. Just no Nick pint. Just go with no Nick pint. It's uh, a glass that has certain volume, right? 20 to 22 ounces, I believe. And so you've got more space in it. I just believe in the Nonic pint glass for sure. And then serving temperature, you know, 38 degrees Fahrenheit, give or take, is what um, lager and all the draft systems are calibrated to. I would want this beer at 45 degrees Fahrenheit, give or take seven and a half set, you know, Celsius for it to warm up anything above like, you know, 50, 55 more cellar temperatures. 
I don't know, maybe my English browns, I want more like that. But I want my American browns because of those hops and the refreshness and the um, the carbonation. I want those less than 50 Fahrenheit, less than 10 Celsius. So I'm going with 45 Fahrenheit, um, Jeremy, 7.5% 7.5 Celsius and, and the Nonic Pint. Yeah, I agree with all of that. In fact, I would I would take it one step further and just say that if you're in a place that uh, that uh, respects its beer and and wants to do a better job with beer, then do not tolerate one of these beers served in a frosted glass. That will just make that whole experience worse. Uh, I, I'm not fond of the pint glass, but you know, I when I I get over it really quickly because it just brings beer to my mouth and, and that makes me happy. But yeah. uh, I agree with the no Nick. That's just way better and, and make sure it's a, a clean glass, but um, let's talk about some pairing uh, because of the dominant, dominant flavors of, of chocolate and toasted nuts. I love grilled meats with this beer. I love uh, a dry aged cheddar. I love uh, like uh, Parmesan Asiago cheese with this. Um, this this beer is fantastic with a grilled cheese sandwich, and I've I've tried that a few times. It, just because you have those bridges of this of this dark Maillard flavor and in this in this uh, toasted butter on the sandwich coming through is just such a wonderful thing. And I would also love one of those um, white pizzas with white cheese, a little bit of goat cheese in there, and and toasted. Uh, um, oh, I'm I'm losing the the uh, pecans uh, or uh, stuff like that, a little bit of a spinach on there that just has this wonderful flavor, but it needs some chocolate and some nuts to kind of counterbalance that. I think that would be fantastic. How about you? Um, you have me wanting to go over my shoulder to my bookshelf here and get my beer pairing <laughs> book. Uh, and, and basically if I were reading from it, uh, one of the chapters that we filed was for, brown ale and porter pairing and you know just think italian meatballs not even oh, yeah. the, with the pasta but like bigger meatballs with some spaghetti sauce i think there is such resonance and such just beautiful synergy with the the brown malt notes that have just a little bit of an acidic bite right this is not a beer that's sour i'm not saying that but there's an acidic bite there's carbonic acid from the carbonation and and you're going to find your way to those meatballs and every sip back and forth to bite of meatballs like ladled with tomato sauce on top of it and italian spices like basil and thyme um, and then they're going to work their way to the light um, aromatic and flavor hop notes from those American hops and find their way to the the pale malt and the crystal and the chocolate malt. And there's total synergy. So have this with Italian meatballs. You don't even need the pasta. And you're going to end up loving that pairing. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Um, and, and, you know, we went a little bit longer on this on this style cast. And please forgive us. But, you know, this beer is an incredible beer. It's one of the early beers that help uh, build this craft beer movement. So, you know, I feel like we need to give a little bit of homage to it, but it's a beer that should come back because it's such a great beer to pair with and it's such an enjoyable beer. So go out, find an American Brown, enjoy the heck out of it. And, uh, and we'll see you next time. Cheers to y'all. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Essential Beer Style, the essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. With advanced Cicerones, me, Julia, and me, Jeremy. Tune into the next episode as we continue exploring the world of beer styles and what to make of them. We encourage you to listen to the prep episodes to build your foundation and better understand beer styles. 
And before the next episode, I'd like to ask you to review the show and let us know what you'd like featured in upcoming episodes. Until next time, here's to you and your sense of beer style. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.